Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you. And I want to look at a passage of Scripture from Matthew 25. If you've been around um, these Sunday mornings for five years or so, um, then you will know that I've spoken on this before. But I've lived a lot of life since then. And so we're coming with what the Holy Spirit has said to me this week. It's in um, Matthew 25 and verse 14. And in my Bible, it says, for it. And the the actual whole passage is in 25.1 when it says the kingdom of heaven is, is comparable. So what that it is, he said, the kingdom of heaven is like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his own ability. And then he went on his journey. Immediately, the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents, and so on. Um, it's, it's a strange story, but then, of course, that's what a parable is. Um, parable is not something that actually happened. A parable is that um, someone is in a story because Jesus made them be there. Um, a parable is Jesus telling a story to make that story say what it wants to say. And that's very important because some people go looking for all manner of interpretations of parables. And the fact is, he's just saying something and he's putting a story around it so that you can't miss what he's saying. And sometimes they very exaggerate it because that's what he wants you to do. And one illustration of that, though we're not talking about it, that remember the man who um, owed the king. Do you realize what the number that Jesus put in there was the national debt of the country Judea? Um, well, you know, don't be daft. Here's a man skimming the top and the king didn't notice until he's walked away with the national debt. Um, no, it was an exaggeration to make us understand what he's saying. And this, we're going to see, is similar to it. But let's go through it bit by bit. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like. So when we come to find out what is this elusive something that he's trying to tell us, he's told us the kingdom of heaven is like. So what we're doing here, we're looking for the kingdom of heaven. Now, the kingdom of heaven in the days of the Gospels, when, when Jesus was um, speaking these words, the Jewish people believed the Messiah would be the one who would be a military Messiah, who with the help of God would pull down the Roman Empire and everybody that crushed the Jews. It would be a bloody mess, but out of it would arise the Jewish people as the top of the pole and lords of the earth. Well, they, and they know, if you've read the, the Gospels, by chapter 25, uh, you could cut the atmosphere with a knife. Everybody knew it can't go on any longer. Jesus is going to declare himself Messiah. He's going to come and take over. This is it, the Passover, and it's going to be the weekend of weekends. Well, of course it was. Only their idea was totally different. Jesus is coming, for, uh, and he's going to declare himself Messiah, but in a way no one would ever imagine. And added to that, he now is going to tell us after he's declared to be Messiah, it's not going to be the way you thought. Would you believe it? I'm leaving. It's the last thing anybody expected. But he tells this story. And he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a man. He's a very wealthy man. He has slaves. And he's picturing this Eastern picture of a very wealthy man. And he's going on a journey. So he calls his slaves and he gives them 
not exactly a gift because he's expecting a return on it, but essentially they're slaves and he puts in their hands these talents. We'll get to that in a minute. But talents, I'll say this, is a bar of gold. Um, it's got nothing to do that you're good at cooking. It, it, that, it doesn't mean, you know, that you, you've got a, a talent. And that cuts out half the commentaries you'll find in, in religion. I read one the other day. Now, you know, you, you might be able to bake cakes and that's your talent. And so do it for Jesus and go and, and so on. No, would you flush that away? That's got nothing to do with this. A talent was a bar of gold and it had tremendous wealth, but it was a way in which you invested. And so he gives them the gold and he tells them he's going away, but he is leaving this in their hands. And they are going to continue his work in the marketplace while he's absent. Now, you, you weigh that. This, this idea to the Jewish people, an inheritance, um, or a, a body of your work. They called it your life. So it isn't that it's merely a matter of money. They said this is his life. And if you think about it, that's exactly what it is. What's he doing with all these gold bars? That's his life that has been turned into gold. And in those gold, there's blood, sweat, and tears, and the work of a lifetime. And he is now taking that, and he's placing it in the hands of three persons and their slaves, which means they are not necessarily educated. It doesn't mean to say they were non-educated. It just meant that they were slaves who had a work to do, and but that was it. It was go here, do that, but th th there was no creativity. A slave didn't sit down at the beginning of the day to say, now how can I spend today? Somebody else decided that. So these are very ordinary people. These are not those who have been working with the man, like accountants or persons who know how to trade on gold. Here are three slaves who are called into their master's office expecting they've done something wrong and he says, I'm going away and I'm putting all this gold into your hands and essentially go play with it in the marketplace and see what you can do with it. Or you could put it this way, take my life. I am putting my life into your hands I want you to invest it. I want you to multiply it. I want you to let it work and reproduce after its own kind so that a bar of gold becomes two bars of gold and two bars of gold become four bars. Let it happen. If you know anything about money at all, this will mean probably a lot more to you than those who just do the work. The, the very rich let their money work for them and, and invest it, let others. And, and this is what is happening here. He's allowing these slaves to participate in his dream, his vision, and he's including slaves into his vision to begin to think as he thinks and see as he sees and be rewarded as he's been rewarded. Now, before we go any further, the big thing is, what, what, what is going on? Uh, Jesus is talking about a man who's leaving, going on a journey, and giving at that point, the point where he leaves, he gives this gift or new way of living to the slaves. I, I, now, until I've answered the question, what is that? In this parable, what is Jesus trying to say about that? Until I know that, I won't know what this is about at all. It's, it's a crazy story. Um, what great financier is going to take three slaves and say, I've got a wonderful idea. I'm going to put half my fortune in your hands, and I'm sure you'll keep it and multiply it. 
Um, that doesn't make sense. But, but what, so what is Jesus saying here? And I, I want the question to burn it into your head. What is he saying here? What, what is the man? Or who is the man? And what did he do? Well, you see, this was said, this parable was given in the last week before Jesus suffered and died. So he suffered and died on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and rose again. So somewhere between Sunday, when he came in on Palm Sunday into Jerusalem, and, and before Thursday, he gave this parable. Okay? He gave it <clears throat> outside, uh, in the temple probably, uh, to people that were semi-disciples. <clears throat> they listened to all he said, but they really didn't get what he was about. Okay, are you with me? Yeah. That's when this story was given. Now, on Thursday, they go into the upper room. That's that tent on the roof. And Jesus sits down. Now it's the inner circle. They've already been listening to him and having his own interpretation of what he said over and over again. And so now he comes and speaks directly to them without any story attached to it. And what does he say? He says, I am leaving. The man in the parable left. Jesus said, I am leaving. It was an unexpected story. It's unexpected. To the, the, the great grief came on them. They were in the rooftop. Um, they're they're gr brokenhearted. You're, you're leaving. He said, in connection with last week, don't let your heart be troubled. In fact, he said, it is for your supreme advantage that I leave. Because when I leave, in the period of my absence, I am going to send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will be to you everything at this moment. I cannot be to you. There's many things I want to share with you, he said, but I, I can't do it. You, you would never understand me. But when the Holy Spirit comes, and the Holy Spirit's main job is going to pour into you the very life of the Holy Trinity, which is love. That special kind of love, agape love, the kind of love that makes us understand the Trinity, that, that the Trinity is not just three stone-faced persons who, who have some sort of glue that holds them together. The, the Trinity is love. God is love. And that which binds the Trinity together is love. A love that we don't know on this earth, naturally speaking. It's a, it's a love that is totally self-giving love so that the Father gives himself to the Son. The Son gives himself to the Father. The Holy Spirit is given to Father and Son, and each glorifies the other. Self-giving love. And that love then joined the human race. He became flesh. God the Son became flesh. And we don't understand that merely as became a human being. He became humanity. He joined with humanity. And so the God who is love, this God love, now shares this love into humanity. And he demonstrated love as humans didn't know. Now he says, I'm leaving but God, the Holy Spirit, is coming, and when he comes, he will be in you, so God's love will be poured out inside of you, and then you love one another as I have loved you. So you will become those who now possess God's gracious gift. You will possess agape, God love. And God love must be given away. And so you will love one another as I have loved you. 
So he would be in them. Holy Spirit would be in them. Now, you've probably heard that before, and that's why we don't think anything about it. But can you imagine just that the love that flows within the Holy Trinity, that by love and grace beyond our comprehension, chose to give himself away to humanity. And having done so, and that love poured blood to bring us to the Father. And now he says, I am putting my Holy Spirit, co-equal with the Son and the Father, God, who is love, shall now take up residence in you. Now you go and love one another as I have loved you. That, that means he was saying we would be filled with the fullness of God. I, I know you've been taught that we're a pathetic bunch that are just trying to be like Jesus. Well, that's not even in the Bible. I don't know where they got it from. But what he says is that God himself, who is love, comes into us by the Holy Spirit. So the parable says the wealthy man is leaving and he gifts them with a crazy gift, almost too big for words to think about. Jesus then a few hours later expounds it to the disciples and says, I'm leaving, but I am now giving to you that which is beyond your imagination, beyond your comprehension, God, the Holy Spirit, to dwell in you, who is love. And you now, while I am gone, are going to give that love away. You are going to invest it in the world, and you are going to see it increase and abound. Do you get the picture? You see, agape is self-giving love. It only seeks the good of the other and seeks the good of the other, whoever that other may be. That, that's, that's God's love. And the very nature of love, and especially this love, is always moving. Love is a verb. Love never sits still. Love by its nature must reach out to the other. You, you can't have love in a vacuum. Um, and, and that is why it, our understanding of God is Trinity, because God cannot be love if he is a lonely God. God, there must be persons within God for love to take place. God is love, always moving, always doing love always becoming himself to others. You, you can't study God and his love like a, a dead butterfly stuck on a corkboard. And now we're going to analyze him and talk about him and yawn as we do so, because this is so boring, but we'll get through with it and get a degree. No, the, the, no love is alive. Love is moving. Love is dancing. Self-giving. I say it's the gift of God. That's why I say it's not natural to us. It's ridiculous to say I'm going to try and be like Jesus. Don't be duffed. God gives himself. I cannot try to be like him. And the darkness has substituted agape. The darkness, and it, I spent the whole of Hosea chapter 1 on this, that the darkness twisted this beautiful self-giving love. And the result was what the Greeks called eros. It's a twisted opposite. Love now is defined as self-seeking. It's all about me. And eros is incapable of fully giving itself away. In fact, eros judges people in terms of how they will contribute to my happiness. You're a good person if you're going to make me feel good. You're good. I'll keep you in my life. You're 
my, my pleasure wants you around. And, and if you contribute to my success, even if I have to walk all over you to do it, I thank you for that. That's, that's what I like you because a self, self centered is, um, it, it loved because of how much you've deposited into my account. You got worth then, you see. Well, the opposite of eros is not hatred. That would almost be good. You could handle it. But it, the opposite of eros is something terrible. It's indifference. I couldn't care less. You are, you are not worth thinking about because you do not in any way contribute to my success and happiness. And therefore, I don't care what happens to you. I, I just don't care if you live or die. I don't care if you're even here because you don't contribute to what I want. That's the terrible way of Eros. 1 John says it shuts its heart to compassion. Cold. That's human in the darkness. And I'm not saying that all human in the darkness end up like that. But there's bits and pieces of that. Um, every human has got some healthy form of eros working. Agape. The total reverse of that. The precious gift the Holy Spirit brings. And, and in delivering it, he said it's a command. A command. We've done that before. Do you remember that Greek word, entole? And it's not a command like a sergeant major in the barracks. And totally means that there has been spoken into you a vision of the finished work, the finished item. And so it isn't love one another. It is the Holy Spirit puts in a vision of what it would be like to love one another. The man took gold bars and he put them in the hands of slaves and said, can you imagine what this is going to be like for you to be like me? Call it a command if you want, but it's that's the New Testament meaning of the word command. This, this brings excitement. This brings a holy enthusiasm. And with it, an urgency. Did you notice it says immediately he grabbed the gold and ran to the marketplace. He's got to get started on this. This is too good. This is, you know, this is evangelism, or at least one aspect of it. Uh, anything that you see in the world today that's called evangelism, if it comes in the Western world, it's off. The Western world has reduced evangelism to making converts. Jesus said, love one another, and by this shall all men know you're my disciples. And by this the world will know that I came sent by the Father. This is evangelism. Can you imagine if this group, if, if this group just went out for a week and loved as Jesus loved... You could turn this whole neighborhood upside down. Yeah. And so in his physical absence, he's still going to be in them and with them through the Holy Spirit. And he's going to continue his work of giving the love, only it be your hands and your mouth and your eyes. You get it. The church forgot this a long time ago and became obsessed with death. Evangelism became death. In the Protestant world, if you go and someone wants to make a convert, I mean, you, I'm sure you've been accosted in that way. Do you know where you'll spend eternity? Well, you, where's that in the script? It's not there. God is not obsessed with the afterlife. And then they wanted to ease that a bit, so... Second coming, became obsessed with the second coming, even with voices that didn't talk about it. Because that's something to do with death and the afterlife. And then when you've, you've got the afterlife, well, what are we talking about? Heaven and hell. Let's... So forget the love thing, because that happens right now. 
This is spiritual life. This is Christianity with boots on. Love one another as I have loved you. And how does it work? We saw this the other week in Romans 8. It says the, the MO of the Spirit is that he takes one end of the load and you take the other. We work as partners. We're co-workers. Only when he picks up one end, my end becomes very light. <coughs> yeah. But that's what he does. We co-work. We, at this minute, this micro moment, we are co-workers together with the Holy Trinity in this incredible message and person who is love. So, just look at it for a minute, just at this point. that They come to the steps of the temple, and there is the beggar, can't walk, hasn't walked, and he's got his can, shaking his can, give me a dime, give me a dime. And Peter says, shucks, I don't have any money on me. But I tell you what, what I do, now listen, what I have, I am going to give to you. He invested the life of God, the love of God into that man and it multiplied in the man jumping to his feet and the whole temple comes together. Do you see what I mean? That, That haunts me sometimes. Such as I have. And they didn't have time to have a big prayer meeting. They didn't have time to see if they were prayed up or if God has shown up. They say, such as I have. It's as if I've got some loose change in my pocket and, and, and it's the life of the Trinity and here. So back to the story. Um, now you've got it. What a talent is. Jesus is saying, I'm leaving. I'm giving you. You work while I'm gone. Okay. But just to see what Jesus is saying, the enormity of this gift, one talent, that's one bar of gold, was equal in those days to 20 years of wages, assuming you never took a vacation. You would have to work. They were paid by the day. And so every day of your life for 20 years without vacation, you would be working, and at the end of it, you would have earned a talent. Uh, just a minute. The five, ta- five talents? You'd have to work every day for a hundred years to get five talents. And this man just puts it, you know, take that, you know. Uh, now, the as I've said this, but let me repeat it, that the, the gold bars in, in the speech of the um, financiers of the day, they referred to a, a talent as a living thing. Actually, they, they called it having children. Uh, but you think about it. They, they took a bar of gold and they invested it. And what does it do? It reproduces after its kind. It has children. And so they said, we've got a living thing here. I'm not just giving you cold cash. This is going to work and it's going to reproduce in your life. And that's how it is. Um, it, it was also called, though I don't want to get off on that, but it was called a living seed. And when you put a seed into the ground, it produces after its kind. Yes. So put gold into somebody's business and it reproduces after its kind. You'll get more gold. You put seed in the ground and whatever seed it is will come out, only multiplied. Now, that's what it was. Now, if this were a real story, I mean a real history, I'd love to have seen the faces of those slaves. I mean, the the bars of gold are now delivered to their house, probably in a leather 
bag. They've put the bars on the table. I mean, you can see it, can't you? Bars of gold sitting on the dining room table. The family's sitting around just looking at them. They can't imagine it. They're excited and they're terrified. I can almost see, don't, don't touch, don't, don't, don't touch them, you know. Unable to talk. Or you could use another way of saying it, their eyes have never seen, their ears have never heard, it's never entered into their heart, what has landed inside their house. And it's got their name on it, and they're going to enter into this living thing that's going to reproduce itself. No wonder, trembling with excitement. I don't wonder at it. But also at the responsibility, what I've got to do. I, I feel totally unable. I don't know what to do with the bar of gold. I knew the boss did it. We had to carry his bag, but now it's me? I mean, did we hear what Jesus said? The works that I do, you will do also. Hold it. Did, you, did I hear you right? <laughs> You crazy? Yeah. Be aware. I'm trying to say that. This, this gift that has been bestowed on all of us by the Lord Jesus, it should keep us awake all night. It, it should, what you see, a new world has opened up. They stand in, in wonder, in awe of what was now in their hands. And, and the gift involved something they hadn't had before, which was spontaneous opportunity. They would find themselves in the right place at the right time, talking to the right person, and I've got what you need, such as I have, I give to you. Yes. You know, it's... I, They'd never known that as slaves. Slaves are just go here, do that. No, this is this is different. Can I say this very carefully? We talk about the will of God, and I, I especially in latter years, I have a lot of young guys who, you know, the will of God is that I do this, that, or the other, and, and, and yeah, maybe it is. I don't know. Um, but I tell you what the will of God is. It is the increase of the gift of God's love that he's already put inside of you. And that means, and I apply this to myself, when I speak of the call of God, I am at this minute called to be sitting at this podium talking to you. And I came into the building with a consciousness of such as I have, I'm going to give to you. But also whenever I sit at the dining room table, when we sit over at the forge, when we sit anywhere, when you're standing with someone, where every second it is the call of God that you're standing there. It's the call of God you're sitting there in order to such as you have give into this moment. And that is not the four spiritual laws. That is not some mechanical thing like you're selling insurance. This is loving someone and letting compassion flow. It's not even trying to get them to make a decision. They just need to be loved. And loved as God has loved you in Jesus Christ. Look at it, sitting on the table. If that doesn't tell me something about how the owner feels about me, I don't know what will. That bar of gold sitting there is the opinion of the owner about me. Or he never would have entrusted me with it. I mean, this is a promotion, but it's beyond comprehension. And we're still slaves, I guess, but... As Jesus said in that rooftop, he said, I call you now my friends. Because a friend knows what the other friend is doing. This man was saying to the slaves, I'm calling you friends. 
come and sit in my office. In fact, get used to it because you'll be working out of something like this. And it's, it seems to be the dream of this man that these slaves who had no opportunity would now enter into his mind, into his way of thinking, into his view of an opportunity. And they would join with his joy in the multiplication of the gift. You could say that that gift meant death, beautiful death. They were dying to the life of a slave. And in the same moment, resurrecting into the life of the friend of the owner to do his work and be him, in fact, in the marketplace. You know, the servant mentality. You've got to go, you've got to do, report in. It's a limited life, it's a boundary life. Don't be creative. The investor's mentality is, can't wait to get up. There's new possibilities every day. Every day is full of potential. It's all wrapped up in the talent. That gold on the table, I mean, they didn't start from scratch. You know what I mean? He didn't sit them down and say, well, I'm going away. It'd be a jolly good idea if you filled my shoes and had a go at this. I'm sure you've got a nickel to start with, you know. Um, No, they didn't start from scratch. In front of them is the life and work of the owner already there. He spent his life putting that on the table. That's where they began. They began. They began with the gift of the owner's life, who was already this vast amount. No wonder. It's beyond imagination. Their entire life is going to be lived out of what's on that table. You could say it was metanoia. Their eyes are open. They see a life they've never dreamed of. And they're already in it. Everything that was impossible yesterday is possible today. See, that's what I'm, I'm trying to get through this morning. Because, you know, he said he poured out his spirit upon all flesh. Now, people don't like that. They, they think he poured out his spirit on a few who yelled and howled and groveled and whined and cried and cried, give me the spirit, give me the spirit, give me the spirit. No, it says he poured out his spirit upon all flesh. And when your eyes are opened, you see you have, you've got the talent. He gave it to you. It comes with Jesus, you see. It's, and I mean that. So I've got to renew my mind. I've got to see my new identity that the gift has brought to me. I've got to die to that old poverty mentality. I've got to enter into the resurrection that comes with the talent. So I begin to live the life of the owner. And I'm speaking to myself here to realize the enormity of this, that you are indwelt by God, the Holy Spirit, who is love. And to you it's been given, to me it's been given to go into every nook and cranny of life. And there's a lot of people out there that are crying to God right at this minute for someone to come and show them the way. And so they acted. Slaves acted in the place of the owner. They were acting in his name, but they had complete freedom to do what they saw fit to reproduce his mind and will. Did you get that? God bless your nod. Is there another? 
the, okay, let me say it again. They were acting in his place. He is absent, physically absent. And so they are taking his place in the marketplace. And they're going to do in the marketplace what he did in the marketplace. But they're not there as robots. They are frighteningly free. He said, invest it. I don't know how. You'll find out. Yeah. Invest it. Of course, if they'd have had cell phones, they, they, they could have called him every five minutes and say, I've got this opportunity. Is it your will? Fortunately, they didn't have cell phones, and therefore, they're on their own. This is, see, we are always calling to this vague blur of a God saying, if it's your will, instead of realizing the gift he has given us is God living in us. Why do we always think God's outside of us with a strange will that we'd never guess? No, the will of God is the gift he's given you to be reproduced in the lives of everybody you meet. You could put it this way. On this road, every traffic light is green until he says, stop, it's red. Yeah. I could go into that, but you got the idea. Because that, now that opens up a lot, doesn't it? It, it means that history is not fixed fatalism. Right. What is to be will be. Whatever God wants to do, that's it. If it be your will. No, this. Yeah, this is scary. He's given me a white sheet of paper. And it's got, you know, February the whatever on the top. And he puts a pen in my hand. He said, what shall we do? Uh, I thought you had a plan. <laughs> yeah, my plan is that you... <laughs> all the opportunities, all the challenges of the day... Show me how to infuse your love into this. That's the will of God. When I was in Brooklyn, we, we lived, of course, Brooklyn is multi-races, and um, we had a, a little Honduras uh, just down the street. And we didn't speak Spanish, and so, you know, they were there. We couldn't communicate. And then a missionary came through. Well, he was not quite a missionary. He was on his way to being a missionary. And he was raising support. Because he was going as a missionary to Honduras. <laughs> oh, this is so perfect. I said, you know, <laughs> on your way to Honduras, we've got a bunch just down the street here. He said, well, I just can't wait to get to my mission field in Honduras. I said, what about the people down the street? Well, you know, I don't know. He was in love with a dream. He was in love with an idea. He had no indifference to the people that were under his nose. Never forgotten that. No, the will of God is I go to Honduras. In between times, I don't care. You won't go to hell. I, I'm going to Honduras. No, this day there will be and you say, well, does God set up the situations? Sometimes. But he really doesn't have to. <laughs> There's enough going on all around us. What he does is given us a gift that perfectly fits every situation. Yeah. <laughs> your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, but being done on earth has your fingerprints all over it. We are the ones through whom the will of God is done. Now, this is freedom. Slaves had never known anything like it. This is grace. I'm a partner. And you and I are partners with the Holy Trinity. Yes. And I say there's no law to this. It's free. Go, go do it. Mm -hmm. Exhilarating. 
They're going to become traders. They're going to become investors. They're going to be co-workers with the owner interpreting his mind into every situation. Free to act and be creative. Jesus said, as the Father sent me, so send I you. That's, what, that's the will of God. I don't have to seek the will of God. The will of God is right in front of me, second by second by second, person by person, situation by situation. And that's how I look at it. Most of my ministry is not here. Most of my ministry is just wherever I find myself. My, my excitement... Well, this is calling the ministry, is sitting in a restaurant and and listening to the broken-heartedness of a waiter or waitress. Come on, come on. That's that's the way it is. So we're free, frighteningly free. We don't like being free. We wish we were a bunch of zombies, but we are. We're free. And we're free inside the overruling love that gives himself away to the good of all persons. So that's that's my boundary, if you can call it a boundary. Now, this was... (laughs) These guys are not living their resume. You know what I mean by that? Most people live, sort of, until they're about 17. And after that, they simply live their resume. You know, everything you ever did, I do again. I do it again. I do it again. I've been doing this for 50 years, and then I have a nervous breakdown when I think about it because I haven't done anything. I've just done everything that I always did before. Well, if you get the hang of this, you never know what the next minute holds. You certainly don't live your resume. It's beyond thought, beyond imagination. As yet it's undiscovered. He's going to guide me into... You remember I said it the other day? We're off the map. It's He's the guide that leads us. That was indifferent. And it's not addition he's talking about. He didn't say we'll add a bit of love to a bit of love. It's multiply it. And, of course, not everybody had five talents. Two and one. But if you read the whole thing over and over, it's very obvious the difference in the size of the talent was of no interest. It means that that gift that he gave was a perfect fit for who the person was. It wasn't a put-down, it was perfect fit. It reflected the ability that was built into the person by God Mm -hmm. to handle it. And in both cases, both cases had a 100% multiplication. So 5 becomes 10, 2 becomes 4. And that apparently was all the owner was looking for. He gets as excited over the 2 as he did over the 5. Five comes and said, I've made it ten. Oh, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy. And then the other comes and I had two. I got four. Oh, wonderful. You know, enter into the joy. No difference. So he gave according to their ability, or you could say according to their uniqueness. And we are. We are totally unique. And we fit into where we are in time and space. He made us exactly as we are, and Christ is in me exactly as I am, to bring forth a unique revelation of this love, even as I'm a unique person in the kingdom of God. The the Holy Spirit uniquely fits himself to me. There's that verse, do you remember it? Is it Jairus? Judges 6 or somewhere in there. And it's mostly in the margin of your Bibles because they don't translate the fun stuff. <laughs> but but um, 
It, it say, I think the, in your Bible it says, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. But the Hebrew there says, the Spirit of the Lord clothed himself with Gideon. And I think, yeah, clothed himself. We talk about us clothing with us. No, this, the Holy Spirit says, you're a perfect fit. And he puts us on. Yeah. And so we're, we're who we are. And we're so different, so different. And the minute you struggle to be somebody else, you've lost everything. Because you've only got what he gave you for you. And so never compare yourself to anybody else. They're probably comparing themselves to you. <laughs> um, you know, it's the gifts. I, I just think uh, Cheryl has gifts that I don't have, abilities. Um, number one, I don't know what I'd do in a woman's prison, just for starters. But um <laughs> No, it, we were in a certain restaurant. I'd been going to that restaurant before I met Cheryl every week. And I got to talk to this per, this waitress, and she opened up. She was a sort of, you know, as some people say, a backslidden. But she knew the scripture, and we, we had talks. But I could feel there was something there. But in two years, I didn't get to it. And then I married Cheryl took her to the restaurant. She was talking for five minutes to the lady and found out she'd been to prison and she'd had... What had I been doing for two years? Uh, I, I, had, I had been operating at the level of what he's given and had probably turned over the ground. But a totally different gifting could go where I couldn't go. And I rejoice in that. Yeah. And so, the potential, the potential, it's when we feel it. Now, right now. Not after you have, or when you do. Now. Uh, and the New Testament sort of, it's, sometimes it's very blatant in saying this, but at other times, it just assumes it. Look, 1 Thessalonians 3.12. And they were, they were new converts when Paul was in Thessalonica. And then he left in a very brief time and wrote. So this is a letter to very young Christians. In chapter 3.12, it says, May the Lord, <clears throat> May the Lord make your love agape, your agape, increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else. The mirror paraphrase of that is the love we have already seen, how the Lord causes the love we have for you to dynamically impact each of you and burst its banks to flood the entire world. There's another, yeah, that there is another um, translation, paraphrase, uh, James Mitchell. He says, you are abund abundantly surrounded and furnished to superabound by love, to love, for love, in love, with love, to each other and to everyone. Wow. Yeah. And of course, I quoted it already. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these will he do because I go to the Father. Now, understand, underneath everything Jesus did was this agape. Um, it, it says, you know, um, Jesus saw the multitudes that they were beaten up and they were in sad shape by religion. Uh, and then it says, he was moved with compassion and taught them. And a few verses on, it says he saw the sick 
and those that were broken in their bodies and minds, and he was moved with compassion and healed them. He didn't do anything that didn't come along the road of compassion. Um, talking of the spiritual gifts that we have in, in 1 Corinthians 14, um, Paul says it's all very well for the spiritual gifts, but he said, uh, pursue agape. And the idea is that when agape is pouring out of you, the gifts necessary will just be there. If I look for the gift, it's an isolated thing. But if it's making agape more real, it's different. And of course, the same, I'll say, the works I do, you should do. What what works? Well, in, in Luke 4, he outlines his mandate. Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach the gospel of the poor, proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, set free who are oppressed, proclaim the year of jubilee, favorable year of the Lord. The same Holy Spirit. That is one of the biggest revelations, I think. When Jesus ascended, he what he did, he shared the same Holy Spirit that was upon him, he shared with us, which makes the body of Christ a reality. The same Spirit on him is on us. And this is what the Holy Spirit does. I preached this in Ireland oh, 200 years ago. And um, my, one of my elders had worked in City Hall. And walked there most of his life. And the best they knew of him, he was an elder in the church. That was it. And I preached this concept. And he came under great conviction. He said, I, I've, I've worked in City Hall all these years and I haven't expressed the love of Jesus to anybody. Oh, and... Next morning, Monday morning, he goes in and, and the lady was there and she was in agony with her shoulder. She'd fallen and, and he said, you know, he didn't expect the, the, the opportunity to be so quickly after Sunday, you know. And so hardly knowing what he was saying, he'd never done it before. He got up and he said, may I lay hands on you and let the love of God heal you. And then almost saying to himself, what on earth did you just say? You know. <laughs> and he laid his hands on her, hardly knowing what he was doing. And she was healed. Wow. And that sent a shockwave through all of City Hall. And, well, everything changed. I, uh, but <sighs> it, it's it's... Looking us in the face, we become we become liberators. All that Jesus is, He is through the Spirit in in us. Yes. We are workers together with Him. That's what the Scripture says in Corinthians. We are workers together with Him. It's the same idea. The Spirit takes one end; we have the other. We have a significance. We're not in the bleachers. In fact, in the kingdom of God, there are no bleachers. Nor is there anywhere where you sit and wait. You're on the field. You're playing. As it is. Such as I have, I give to you. And there's never a time when you say that and the word comes back, insufficient funds. No. Yeah. There's always. Such as I have fits whatever is in front of you. And I love it when it, it, you're in front of a situation that you didn't plan on. It doesn't fit what you thought it would look like. So so much of what we think it would look like has been imprinted into us by a church that's forgotten there is a Holy Spirit. And, and so we're very inept at, at seeing this is an opportunity. You know, Jacob comes to Bethel, well, it wasn't called Bethel then. It was called Luz. And 
there were possibility of nasty people living there who didn't like these children of Abraham coming to take over their land. And so he was afraid. And he got a stone and laid his head on the stone and goes to sleep. In the night, he gets that vision of a ladder leading heaven and earth joined together. And when he woke in the morning, he said the words, God was in this place, and I didn't know it. I was just scared there might be enemies around the corner. I didn't realize that. So he changed the name. He called it Bethel, which means the, the house of God. And then he added to that that it's the gate of God. He said, in this place, I've learned God dwells and it's a gateway to heaven. And I, I know, as you know, the most unlikely situation suddenly become the house of God. It suddenly becomes the gate. This is it. And all you thought was laying on a stone in the night, scared that someone might club you. Uh, and Or the good, good Samaritan. And that, that's a good one. Because the priest came by. And what does the priest? He, go, he crosses the road. He's indifferent. He didn't hate the man. He was just indifferent. I don't want to get my hands dirty. And the Levite came by, and at least he stopped to look. But it wasn't worth it to him. Just go on my way. The Samaritan comes, and it becomes the parable that has rocked the world for 2,000 years. Could I just quickly say this? Don't confuse what I'm saying here with what the evangelical world would call witnessing. Yeah. Most witnessing, I say, is obsessed with death. Or if it isn't obsessed with death, it's obsessed with getting you to sign a piece of paper and make a decision. Um, but do you realize when you're doing that, the person doesn't matter? Mm -hmm. They're just... I could go back and say, I, I led someone to Christ. Who? I, I, I don't know. I think his name was. You ever thought of sitting down and loving the person because they're there? Yes. And not caring whether they make a decision because they're beloved of God. Now they've got to discover that. But many times we, we lose people in religious witnessing. We're more concerned with, I did a witness and they made a decision rather than just loving the person and discovering things about that person that you would never dream. But they spilled their guts. They recognize love when they meet it. And they know you're safe. I just say that because I wouldn't want anybody to assume this message meant you go and get a handful of tracks and go and stand on a street corner and mug everybody that comes by with the gospel. Um... I'm talking about seriously liking someone, loving someone, Amen. getting getting beyond their ugliness, getting beyond what horrifies you and sometimes disgusts you. Yeah, sit down with some tax collectors. And don't say, don't say that in my presence. I am a Christian. No. no. Uh, I, no, I was on a flight once, and long flight, and um, sitting across the way was another minister. I didn't know him, but and they bring around the cocktails, and when they came to him, he said, "Take those filthy things from me. I am a man of God." I thought, "You man of God, God is love." Do you remember? <laughs> no. So you go into all the world and preach the gospel. And that doesn't mean what I'm doing. Preaching is sharing love. We are the body of Christ, which means we are his hands and feet in this world. As he is, so are we in this world. We represent him in the power of the Holy Spirit. We're ambassadors. Yes. <laughs> that means all the resources of the kingdom of heaven stand behind us. 
We are embassies of heaven on earth. And I've told you before, being in foreign countries, the embassy means a lot more than it might mean when you're talking about it here. Um, I know when I've seen that American flag over a building, I know if I can get inside those gates, I'm in America. I'll have the Marines and the person I know is following me with evil intent can't touch me once I get there. It's a great feeling. And there's many times when I've looked at people, you know, get them into the embassy. Because in there, there's healing, wholeness. In there, in the presence. So, well, I think that's about it. There's no time for the poor chap who had one talent, but that will be another whole hour. (laughs) Um, But I trust the Holy Spirit has made this a reality to me as I teach it and to you and to realize until you can't stand sleeping it's so real that that the five talents that have been given to us go and invest thank you father your gospel is amazing your gospel is a wonder and the Holy Spirit open up eyes to see, open our ears to hear, challenge us with what our eyes have never seen. Bring us to silence when we hear what we've never heard. Bring us to urgency, exuberance, by placing into our imagination your truth. So to you we commend ourselves now, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And amen.